الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد اننا محمدا عبده ورسوله Glory the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whomever Allah guides there's no one that can lead him astray and whomever Allah leads astray there's no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is a slave servant and his messenger Uh, we thank Allah again and again for the opportunity to be together and to spend a few moments to review and to seek the understanding from the things and practices of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam from his sunnah sahiha the authentic sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam now previous class we discussed the second hadith which gave us the description of the wudu or ablution of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and that was the hadith reported by al-bukhari and muslim on the authority of abdullah ibn zaid radiyallahu anhu in that hadith as in the previous hadith we discussed those details of how Abdullah ibn Zaid demonstrated in practical application the manner of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in performing his ablution and we also mentioned that there were some points which were given more detail or clearly in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zaid uh increasing the clarification and understanding from what we collected in the hadith of Uthman Ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu from the previous hadith of the week before and we said in summary that from that hadith of Abdullah ibn Zaid and which he demonstrated to the people the wudu the wudu of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and it was reported that he poured some water from a container on his hands and washed them twice in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zaid it is reported that he poured water from the container and washed his hands twice as opposed to the hadith of Uthman ibn Affan in which he mentioned three times then he rinsed his mouth three times and washed his nose with water three times by putting water in it and blowing it out so he washed his face three times and after that he washed his forearms up to his elbows twice and then passed wet hands over his head from its front to its back and vice versa beginning from the front and taking them to the back of the head up to the nape of the neck and then brought them to the front again from where he started and washed his feet up to the ankles this is the description of the wudu of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as reported by al-bukhari and muslim on the authority of abdullah ibn zaid and we said that there were some differences in that report that came from abdullah ibn zaid radiyallahu anhu uh as compared to the hadith 
of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. And the Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam in his book Taysir al-Allam Sharh Umdat al-Ahkam he mentioned some points from that hadith which were additional to the points that were mentioned in the hadith of Uthman and from them he said that it was made clear in this narration of Abdullah ibn Zayd that al-madmada and al-istinshaq both of them washing the mouth and nose that they were done three times min salati ghurfat from three handfuls and this hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd it is clear in the text of the hadith that he rinsed his mouth and his nose three times from only three handfuls of water and that was not made clear in the hadith of Uthman but it was just mentioned in general in this hadith he was more clear or the one who described his performance of the wudu was more clear also the shaykh he said uh, in the previous hadith the hadith of Uthman radiallahu anhu hadith of Uthman it is mentioned that he washed his hands uh, you have to get from one of the brothers this is my coming huh? we will get from, this, from them inshallah uh, in the hadith of Uthman he mentioned that he uh, washed his hands three times uh, and in this hadith, the hadith of Abdul Zayd radiallahu anhu, he mentioned two times only and both of these reports are authentic both of them reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim and from this we said the shaykh he said or he mentioned that it is permissible as recorded in Al-Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet sometimes washed the parts of the body one time and sometimes he washed them two times and sometimes he washed them three times and in this hadith it became clear that even it was permissible to wash some parts two times while the others washing them three times of course that's excluding the head which is washed one time according to the most authoritative and the majority of the reports in the authentic hadith also in this hadith of Abdul Zaid, he said ثُمَّ أَدْخَلَ يَدَهُ فَغَسَلَ وَجْهَهُ ثَلَاثًا Then he put his hand in the water and washed his face. In this narration it mentioned that he put one hand and this is the way it was reported by Imam Muslim and also it was reported like this in the majority of the narrations of Al-Imam Al-Bukhari that he put one hand in the water. Al-Imam Al-Nawawi rahimahullah he said after mentioning these reports he said this is an indication or proof that to wash the face with one hand is also sunnah it is a sunnah to wash the face even with one hand but the opinion <coughs> of the majority of the scholars the jumhur and it is the most widespread opinion of the scholars is that it is mustahab to wash the face with two hands and that this is better and closer to making more perfection in washing the face completely al-isbag in wudu then he said that uh, also in this hadith or in the previous hadith the wording of the hadith of Uthman ibn Affan then he wiped his head the letter here ba was understood by some of the scholars as it was understood in the ayah in the Quran that, uh, that when Allah ordered to wipe the head he used this letter ba some of them understood that it means a part of the head a part that it's not necessary to wipe the whole of the head but in this report of Abdullah ibn Zayd, the expression came more clear and he said 
he wiped his head without the use of the letter ba. Uh, here, the Sheikh he says, in this narration, it became clear that he wiped the whole of his head, not part of it, but the whole of his head. And it also became clear in this narration exactly how did he wipe his head, the manner that he wiped his head. And he said here is a rule that we can take from this hadith that some reports from the hadith or ayahs from the Qur'an may give more clarification to other reports or other ayahs of the Qur'an. Sometimes we will read in one ayah something general and in another place it will become more specific so that it will be clarified by another ayah or by another hadith. This is a rule that some aspects or some parts of the legislation from Qur'an or Sunnah clarify and explain in more detail other parts. Then he said, uh, in both hands, or in both hadith, there's the mention of al-madmada wal-istinshaq, that is the cleaning of the mouth and the nose. In both of them, it is mentioned that he only put one hand in that container, and in the previous narration of Uthman, it actually mentioned that he put his right hand, yamina, in that water, to take water for his mouth and for his nose. That he used his right hand to take the water to clean the mouth and the nose. Uh, also in this hadith, the clarification of wiping the head was mentioned in that he put both hands in the water and he wiped his head with it. He said, أَقْبَلَ بِهِمَا وَأَدْبَرَ مَرَّةً wahida." That he took both of his hands and wiped his head from the front back and from the back to the front. And Al-Imam Abu Dawood, rahimahullah, said the authentic hadith, Al-Ahadith As-Siha Kulluha, all of the authentic hadith indicate that the wiping of the head should be one time. And this is also mentioned by the great scholar Al-Imam Ibn Munzir. He said that that which is authentically and that which is reported correctly and authentically from the Prophet ﷺ in terms of wiping over the head is one time. That's basically the points that we mentioned from that hadith of last week as a review. Uh, and we have completed in these two hadith and those hadith which we mentioned in the end of the lecture, uh, most of the details of the performance of wudu so that it should be clear to us uh, the exact procedure in which uh, was followed by the Prophet ﷺ for the performance of wudu. And hadith number nine, we go on here in this hadith in our lecture this evening, lecture number five, to discuss some other points related, secondary points related to al-wudu or purification in general, and they are also very important, and for that reason we should take some time to discuss them at least in a little detail. And you have with you the uh, the hadith for tonight, hadith number nine. It is under the title of starting from the right hand side for ablution etc. and other things. That hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha who said كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يُعْجِبُهُ أَتَّيَمُّنُ فِتَنَعُلِهِ وَتَرَجُّلِهِ وَتُهُورِهِ وَفِي شَأْنِهِ كُلِّهِ The Messenger of Allah صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ 
he liked or he was pleased that he should start from the right side on putting on his shoes. And putting on his shoes, he would put the right one on first. And also combing his hair, he would comb the right side first as well as owning himself. That is, al-wudu or ghusl, he would wash the right parts of the body first. And finally, in the end of the hadith, she said, وَفِي شَأْنِهِ كُلِّ That is, in all of his affairs, he used to prefer doing or starting with the right side first. And the scholars said that this is general, عَام مَخْصُوص That means this is an expression in all of his affairs. It's general, but also there are some things which are excluded from it. It's not absolutely including everything. But it is general that he preferred doing things with the right first, although there are exceptions to it, which he will mention, inshallah. This narration of the hadith is the exact wording from Imam al-Bukhari in volume 1 of the English translation, page 117, hadith number 169. Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, in his sahih, he mentions the hadith, also in volume 1, page 161, hadith number 514, with slightly different wording. In his narration, he said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يحب التيمنا في شأنه كله that he used to, that is the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم used to love to start from the right side in all of his affairs. في نعليه وترجله وطهوره that is in putting on his two shoes as well as in combing the hair and in the acts of purification. The hadith are similar. The meaning is exactly the same, but the wording is slightly different. The first thing, Sheikh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman al-Bassam, Hafizahullah, he explained some of the words that are used in this hadith, and he said, يُعْجِبُهُ التَّيَمُّنْ He said that this means that he gave preference to starting with the right, over starting with the left. And Al-Imam Al-San'ani, the great scholar from Yemen, who wrote the book Subh al-Salam, he said in his book, Al-San'ani said, every action that is loved by Allah and His Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it is an indication that that action is legislated in the religion. Whatever is loved by Allah, or loved by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it means that it is legislated, that it should be done in the religion. Even though it might be something that is wajib, obligatory, or it might be something that is mandub, or mustahab, yani commendable, or recommended, but both of them are of the legislated action. And we said in our first lecture that there is a difference between that which is wajib and that which is mandub or mustahab. And the main difference between them, while both of them are of those things which Allah has commanded, but we said that the wajib is that which Allah has commanded, and whoever doesn't do it, he deserves to be punished for not doing it. Although Allah may punish him if he wills, or Allah may forgive him, Allah does whatever he wills. As for the mandub or mustahab, it is something that Allah has commanded, but if you don't do it, you are not expected to be punished for such, but you, would, you lose the reward that you would get for doing that thing, that is loved by Allah, or loved by the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also, the Shaykh says, Tuhorihi, Tuhorihi, it is with Dhamma, Tuhor. Because there is a difference between Tuhor and Tahor. 
He said here the word in this hadith is tuhur, and it means cleaning oneself. It includes al-wudu, it includes ghusl, and it includes removal of anything unclean from your body or your clothing or the place where you perform an act of worship. It includes all of this. Cleaning some unclean thing from your body or your clothing, as well as the performance of ablution, as well as the taking of a bath, that in all of these things, uh, the Prophet ﷺ gives preference to starting with the race. Then he says, وَفِي شَأْنِهِ كُلِّهِ In all of his affairs, it means in those things which are uh, of the good things, the honorable things, or the things that are considered to be noble and good. And here he said that he mentions here that this expression is general, but there are some things excluded from it. And some examples of those are the person who enters the bathroom should not enter with the right foot. This is an exception to the general rule that the Prophet ﷺ preferred to start with the right, but there are some exceptions. And from those exceptions is entering the bathroom or coming out of the masjid. Coming out of the masjid, you should not begin with your right foot, but with your left foot. Going in the masjid with the right foot and the opposite for the bathroom going in with the left foot and coming out with the right. And there are so many other things like this that are exceptions, but the general rule is that the Prophet ﷺ preferred or gave preference to starting with the right. Then the Shaykh, he mentions a general explanation of the meaning of, of this hadith, and he says, first, that it is one of the virtues of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, the mothers of the believers, the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa radiyallahu anhum wa anhuma hunna may Allah be pleased with all of his wives it was from their superiority and their station high station above others and especially the al-hafidha al-alima al-siddiqa that is the one who memorized so much of the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and she was a scholar and of the truthful, she was the daughter of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, that is Aisha radiallahu anha, that they, and she in particular, narrated for this ummah, for the nation, the people, the community of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so many of his actions. It was of their superiority that they were able, because of their closeness to him, and their knowledge of even those secret things that were not known to others, that they narrated so many of his actions to this ummah so that we could follow it and especially those actions that were exclusive to the home which no one else had a way to know about except the people of his home, his family and for this reason they were able to narrate to us so much knowledge that is one of their virtues or superiorities over others here Aisha radiallahu anha she informs us of a habit or a practice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that was beloved to him and that is that he gave preference to starting with the right when he put on his shoes, when he combed his hair, or when he purified himself from a state of uncleanliness or any unclean thing. And in general, in all of his affairs uh, that are similar to what has been mentioned here, including putting on shirt or pants, going to sleep, he used to sleep on his right side, eating and drinking, he used to take the food with his right hand, and drink with his right hand, and so on. And Al-Imam Al-Nawawi, in his Sharh of Sahih Muslim, actually mentioned some details about this, which the Shaykh only mentioned briefly here. If there's time, we would mention 
further some of those things that he mentioned in his explanation of Sahih Muslim. Also, he said that all of these things are considered to be يعني, under the title of those things which are honorable or noble. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ used to prefer to begin those things by using the right or starting with the right. As for those things which are considered to be unclean, then it is better that we should do those things with the left hand. And for this reason, the Prophet ﷺ has prohibited us from making al-istinja with the right hand. When anyone goes to the bathroom to urinate or defecate, and they clean themselves after using the toilet, to make istinja with the right hand is prohibited. The Prophet ﷺ has prohibited such, and we will discuss that in detail further when we come to the hadith <coughs> concerning it. Also, the Prophet ﷺ prohibited anyone from touching their private part with their right hand because the right hand should be used for the good things or clean things and the left hand should be used for what remains after that. Uh, from this hadith, also, the Shaykh he says, what are the main points, the rules, or the regulations, or the guidelines that we can understand from this hadith? And he mentions four. The first of those things, he said, is that giving precedence to the right hand in the good things, eating and drinking, washing, and things such as this, that this is, in general, in doing good things, we should give preference, preference to the right, and this is better from the perspective of the law, the Islamic law, as well as even rationally and medically, it is better to do so. Al-Imam al-Nawi, rahimahullah, he said in his explanation of Sahih Muslim, that there is a rule in the Islamic legislation, a regular continuous rule, and that is, that rule is that it is preferable and it is beloved to begin things with the right hand. In all of those things that are honorable or noble. And the opposite of that should be done with the left hand. That's in general. Also, the Shaykh says the second thing is that the left hand should be used for unclean things. And this is better also from the perspective of the Islamic legislation as well as rationally. Third, he says that the noble Islamic law has come to correct and to purify the people, to improve their condition and to protect them or to establish preventive measures to protect them from harm. The Islamic law has come to improve the people and to correct them and to give preventive measures to protect them from harm. And of those protective measures is the distinguishing between the use of the right hand for some things and the left hand for other things and not to mix them up. And finally, he said specifically in reference to wudu that it is afdal, it is better, it is afdal, better that we should begin with the right side 
in the parts that are washed in wudu. We should begin with the right side and give it preference over the left side. This is better. Al-Imam Al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, says that the Muslim scholars have consensus or ijma' on this fact that giving preference to the right hand or to the right part in wudu is sunnah. Sunnah. Not wajib. It is sunnah. This is preferable. Whoever contradicts that or does something, washing the left hand first, for example, or the left foot first, then he has allowed to escape from him this extra bounty or favor or blessing, but his wudu is still acceptable. If someone was to do such, he has allowed the fadl of giving the preference to the right to pass him by, but the wudu is still acceptable. And also, Al-Imam Ibn Qadama in his book Al-Mughni, he said similarly, that it is not known that there is any difference of opinion on this point about the absence of it being obligatory to start with the right hand. That is, it is not obligatory to start with the right hand, it is preferable, it is better, it is more rewardable, but it is not wajib. And he said, Ibn Qudama said, we don't know of any difference of opinion on this point. Yani, he said, in other words, the same thing that Imam al-Nawawi said, that it is preferable, it is sunnah, it is recommended, it is more rewardable, but it is not wajib. And al-Imam al-Nawawi, as you know, he was one of the Shafi'i scholars, and Ibn Qudama was a Hanbali scholar, but yet both, both of them looked at the hadith and came to the same conclusion, and Imam al-Nawawi said that there is ijma' or consensus on this point. Yani, there is agreement amongst the scholars. So this is uh, what we wanted to say about this hadith and uh, perhaps just a few moments to uh, go back to the mention of Al-Imam Nawawi and his sharh of Sahih Muslim, what he said concerning this hadith. Under the hadith that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, used to love to begin with the right hand in all of his affairs and putting on his shoes, combing his hair, etc., he says that it also was reported in a narration of Al Bukhari that the Prophet وسلم, كان يحب التيمن ما استطاع في شأنه كله Ya'ani, he used to love to begin with the right hand in all of his affairs, mastata'a, according to his ability, as best as he could, as long as he was able. And this is a very important addition to this hadith because it makes it clear to us that this is something that a person should do as much as they can, as best as they can. But whoever is unable, there's no blame on you. The Prophet ﷺ has come as a mercy with a way of ease for the people. That is, this is something, though he loved to do it, but as long as you are able to do it. 
whoever is not able, there's no blame on you. There's no harm. There's no fault for you in that case where you are not able. But when you are able, then you should take advantage of the opportunity to do that which is preferable and that which is loved by Allah and get the extra reward. Uh, there's also another hadith that is not mentioned in uh, our book, but I think it is also very appropriate that we should mention it here. There are two hadith which reported by Imam Abu Dawood, rahimahullah, in his sunan, the sunan of Abu Dawood, and that first of those hadith is reported from Hafsa, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam كان يجعل يمينه لطعامه وشرابه وثيابه ويجعل شماله لما سوى ذلك The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as reported by Hafsa the daughter of Umar bin al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam she said he used to use his right hand لطعامه for his eating food وشرابه and his drinking وثيابه and his clothing putting on his clothing and he used to make his left hand for what was other than that يعني for other things so this shows that he used to make a distinction between the use of the right hand and the left hand and this hadith is reported by Imam Abu Dawood and it was declared by a Sheikh Nasruddin Al-Albani to be sahih it is authentic and so also the second hadith is also authenticated reported by Abu Dawood, this one from Aisha radiallahu anha, she said that the hand of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his right hand, yadu Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yumna li tuhurihi, it was for his purification, li tuhurihi wa ta'amihi, and for his eating, he used to use his right hand, wa kanat yaduhu al-yusra, and his left hand, li khala'ihi wa ma kana min al-adha, and for he used to use his left hand when he went to the bathroom to relieve himself and for other such things that are harmful or unclean. So again here in these hadith, both of them, it makes clear what we already mentioned from the hadith of Al-Bukhari but there is some more details mentioned in these two hadith that the Prophet ﷺ used to make a distinction between the use of the right and the left hand. The important thing in this hadith is that it is preferable, it is recommended, it is Something loved by Allah, the Prophet ﷺ used to love to begin with his right hand in those things and we should follow that practice. In wudu, in ghusl, in eating and drinking, sleeping on the right side, going into the masjid with the right foot and so on. The second hadith is hadith, the tenth hadith in the book and this hadith is narrated by Nu'aym ibn Abdullah al-Mujmir from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama that he said inna ummati yuda'awna yawm al-qiyama qurran muhajjaleena min athar al-wudu and perhaps there is a mistake here on this paper that we have it has min athar al-wudu it is a printing mistake it should be the plural min athar al-wudu and that hadith that we are taking, hadith number 10, 
it should have the word instead of athar, it should have athar. He said that inna ummati yud'awna yawm al-qiyama ghurran muhajjalina min athar al-wudu. فمن استطاع منكم أن يطيل غرته فليفعل. That verily my ummah or my nation, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, verily uh, my ummah or my nation will be called as an honor to them. They will be called on the day of resurrection, غرًا محجلين. That is, they will be identified and they will come forth with these characteristics of having. White, the whiteness or brightness in their face and also in their hands and in their feet. That is the result from their performance of wudu. Their faces will be bright and their hands and feet will be bright. So whoever is able to increase their brightness, then they should do so. In the hadith, as is reported from the English translation here, it is according to this second narration that the Shaykh mentions in that narration, he said that uh, Nu'aym ibn Abdullah al-Mujmir, he said, رَأَيْتُ أَبَا حُرَيْرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ أَنْهُ I saw Abu Huraira يَتَوَضَّى making wudu فَغَصَلَ وَجْهَهُ وَيَدَيْهِ حَتَّى كَادَ يَبْلُغُ الْمَنْكِبَيْنِ I saw him making wudu and he washed his face and hands until he almost reached in washing his hands up to his shoulders. Then he washed his feet until he almost until he reached up or raised up the washing up to the shank of his leg. Yani between his ankles and his knees, to the upper part of the leg. سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ Then he said, I heard the Messenger of Allah صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ Saying the same as the previous hadith إِنَّ أُمَّتِي يُدْعَوْنَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ مِنْ آثَارُ وُضُوهِ But verily, my ummah will come forth or they will be called forth on the day of resurrection with bright white faces and hands and feet from the effects of wudu or from the performance of wudu فَمَنْ اسْتَطَعَ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ يُطِيلَ غُرَّتَهُ وَتَحْجِيلَهُ فَلْيَفْعَلْ So whoever from amongst you is able to increase this luster or brightness or whiteness in his face and his hands and his feet, then he should do so. These hadith are reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. And the last hadith, it is uh, reported also in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. And its expression is... Samiatu Khalili, and this is the hadith also, this hadith is reported by Abu Huraira. He said, Samiatu Khalili, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yaqul, tablughu al-hilyatu min al-mu'mini, haythu yablughu al-wudu. That the uh, adornment or the beautification of the believer will reach to that place where his wudu reaches. And there is a lengthy discussion about these hadith. Uh, here the Shaykh, he didn't mention the whole of the hadith, but I have mentioned in the translation here the complete uh, narration of this hadith as it's found in Sahih Muslim. Uh, the reporter Abu Hazm, he said that I was standing behind Abu Huraira. He was standing behind him such that Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, did not see him and was not aware of his presence. He said, I was standing behind Abu Huraira and he was performing the ablution for prayer. He extended the washing of his hand until it reached up to his armpit. 
he washed his hand from the fingertips almost extending to his armpit. Not only including the elbow but going further than that. I said to him, O oh Abu Huraira, what is this ablution? Ma al wudu? He thought it was very strange. When he saw this, he hadn't seen anyone doing such thing before. He asked him, what is this wudu? Then Abu Huraira said to him, O oh, so-and-so of the tribe of Al-Farruq, he said, you are here? Yani he was surprised to know he was watching him. He said, if I knew that you were here, I would have never performed ablution like this. I would not have done such. This is very important to understand. In this issue of the extending of the washing of wudu beyond that which is known to us from the practice of the Prophet ﷺ, it makes us to know that Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, in his own eagerness and zeal for purification, it was his ijtihad that he wanted to extend the washing in his wudu beyond the limit for the sake of the brightness or the whiteness being extended, according to his ijtihad. But he didn't do it in front of other people, nor did he tell anyone to do such. That was his ijtihad, which he didn't try to force on anyone, nor did he suggest it to anyone, but he did it himself. When he found someone watching him, he was surprised, and he made it clear, had I known that you were there, I would not have done such. It is very clear in the words of Abu Huraira that he didn't intend to teach other people to do this, but that was his own personal, personal ijtihad, that was between him and Allah. Not that he was suggesting to anyone to do such. Then he said, what was, what was it that led him to do such? What was it that caused him to take such an opinion or a position? He said, I heard my friend Khalili, that is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, saying, in a believer adornment would reach the places where ablution reaches. So if the adornment or the beautification or the brightness or the light of the believer on Yom Qiyamah would reach the places where his ablution reached, then it was his ijtihad to extend it. There's difference of opinion amongst the scholars about this, but it is important for us to understand that that was not something that he said the Prophet ﷺ did or recommended, but it was his own ijtihad which he did privately and he didn't encourage or suggest others to do such. The first thing that the Shaykh mentions here concerning these hadith is that uh, the word Qurran it means the luster or the sparkle or the brightness or the whiteness that is in the forehead of a horse in his forehead, this whiteness and here it is used in reference to the light that would be in the faces of the people from Wudu on the day of resurrection. Then he said, Muhajjalina, this means a tahjil, it means also the whiteness, but the whiteness that is in the forelegs and the hind legs of the horse. On the bottom of his leg, that whiteness that's on his forelegs or hind legs, this is called tahjil. And the intended meaning here is the light that would be in those parts of the believer on Yawm Qiyamah from his hands and from his feet from his performance of wudu in this life and this is a comparison between the brightness and the light that's in the forehead or the hind legs or forelegs of the horse then he says the general meaning of this hadith 
is that the Prophet ﷺ has given good news to his ummah. Good news to his ummah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given special consideration and special status to the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam by this sign of superiority and it would be an honor for them on yawm qiyamah and a distinction for them over the rest of the nations of the other prophets of the previous nation this would be a special distinction for the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam so that they would be called forth and they would come forth amongst all of the people of creation with their faces and their hands and their feet glittering with the light that is the result of their performance continuously in this world of al-wudu it is the result of this great act of worship al-wudu is an act of worship it is not just for the sake of cleaning oneself so that you can be clean we find many people of the non-muslims they are very clean some of them taking that regularly washing cleaning trying to keep their house clean their clothes clean but not as an act of worship just for the sake of cleanliness but for us wudu is not only for the sake of cleanliness for health reasons but it is in fact an act of worship a great act of worship and for this the performance of this great act of worship and wudu and repeating it in washing the parts of the body over and over and over again in this world seeking the pleasure of Allah and seeking the reward of Allah then Allah will give us this great reward that would be especially for the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam this is the great news from our prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that there will be a great distinction for us on the day of judgment Allah will give a special honor to the ummah of Muhammad and it is the result of our being continuous and regular in performing wudu in the proper manner and seeking the pleasure of Allah by it and hoping for the reward of Allah then Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu says that to the extent that a person extends the washing of the parts of the body in wudu to that extent his ghurra or his brightness would be extended as long as he washed the parts of the body to a further extent then his ghurra and tahjil it would also be extended this is what Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu said and he said this was based on the saying of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that the adornment or the beautification of light of the believer on yawm qiyamah would reach that place where the wudu reaches on this point there's difference of opinion amongst the scholars and it is important that we at least understand why there's difference of opinion and benefit from that difference of opinion the first benefit from the difference of opinion amongst the scholars in such issues is that we will be more tolerant of others if you read a hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and you understand that you should do something or you should not do something or something is sunnah or something is wajib you will always find that there are other people who read something different or read the same thing but understood it differently and hold a different opinion will we be tolerant or we will be harsh and stern that we are right and they are wrong when we see that the scholars of islam who are not like you and i but are great people who have extensive knowledge that they also differed on these things isn't it then an encouragement for us that we should be more tolerant of others we should be tolerant there are differences of opinion 
it is natural that there would be differences of opinion. Of course, not every difference of opinion is acceptable. But when there is a difference of opinion based on evidence from the Qur'an and Sunnah, then it's tolerable. It doesn't mean that you have to force your opinion on others, but you can tolerate others. We can discuss with one another and share our evidences and try to come to a conclusion. But if we don't agree, we can tolerate others. We have to be tolerant. This is very important. So here, we see that not the scholars only, but a great companion of the Prophet ﷺ, who was the most prolific of all Sahaba in narrating hadith of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, that is Abu Hurairah anhu. May Allah be pleased with him. The scholars differed about extending the limits of those things that are obligatory to be washed in wudu. That in reference to the face as well as the hands and the feet. The scholars differed about this. The majority of the scholars held the opinion that it is mustahab, that it is commendable, it is recommendable, it is loved, that you should extend the washing of the parts of the body in wudu past their limits. And that is based on this hadith of Abu Hurairah anhu. Although they differed about how far you should extend it, can you just extend it a little past the elbow or further up the arm or up to the armpit as was done by Abu Hurairah, there is difference of opinion amongst them, but they said that it is mustahab to extend it beyond the limits of what is normally washed in wudu. The second opinion of those who said that it is not mustahab to extend the washing past the limits of what is obligatory in wudu is the opinion of Imam Malik rahimahullah. And also it is reported from Imam Ahmed rahimahullah, both of them holding the opinion that it is not mustahab to wash beyond those limits which are mentioned in the Quran and in the Sunnah. And this is also the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and his student Ibn al-Qayyim, and it was also the opinion of the Shaykh, of the author of this book, the Shaykh of the author, he is known to us, Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi, as we have read so many times from his tafsir. It was also his opinion that it is not mustahab. And their opinion, that it's not mustahab, also has evidence, just as the first opinion that it's mustahab has evidence, it was the practice of Abu Hurairah and his understanding that it should be done. Many, the majority of scholars, accepted that opinion and they said that it was mustahab, though they differed to what extent we can ascend it. The second opinion also has evidence, and one of the evidences for the opinion that it's not mustahab is that to extend anything beyond the limit in any act of worship requires evidence. They said it requires evidence. Isn't it so that if we do anything in an act of worship, we cannot do it except by evidence. We cannot just use our mind, our intellect, our feelings, or our habits or customs of the people. And that this hadith of Abu Hurairah is not a proof for such, but it is a proof only that the light or the brightness of the believers on Yawm Qiyamah would be extended but not that it's permissible to extend in the washing of wudu beyond the practice of the Prophet ﷺ. They said that this practice of Abu Hurairah anhu was his understanding of the hadith. He alone understood it as such. And we cannot use his understanding as a proof if it is in contradiction 
to the clear text of the practice of the Prophet Especially when we didn't find even one other of the companions of the Prophet saying such or doing such. Also, the saying in this hadith, فَمَنِ اسْتَطَعَ مِنْكُمْ Then whoever is able from amongst you to extend, that he should extend this, this saying, it has been uh, considered by the majority of scholars of hadith that it is mudraj, that it is something that has been included along with the statement of the Prophet ﷺ from a narrator. Many times we found in hadith, in the authentic books of hadith, that there, sometimes the narrator gave some explanation of that which he is narrating, and those who reported it from him later didn't distinguish between the text that he narrated from the Prophet ﷺ and that which he himself mentioned from his own self as an explanation. This is called mudrij. And they said that this is, in this case, the speech of Abu Huraira. After he mentioned the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that his ummah will be called on Yom Qiyamah with white faces and white hands and feet from the effects of their wudu, then Abu Huraira himself said, Therefore, whoever is able, you should try to increase it. As in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, when he narrated the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that whoever performs, yani whoever does not worship anything along with Allah, whoever does not make shirk, man la yushrik billahi shayan, dakhal al-jannah, whoever doesn't associate anything with Allah, he will enter paradise. Then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anhu said from himself, he said, whoever, if whoever does not worship anything with Allah would enter paradise, then he said, then whoever worships something with Allah, he will not enter paradise. Okay, that was his understanding. Now many people narrate the hadith as one, without distinguishing the statement of the Prophet from the statement of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and so on. There are many such examples of this. That the explanation of the narrator became combined with the statement of the Prophet uh, also, <clears throat> he said that even if we accept that perhaps if we accept that it is permissible to go beyond the face in washing the face in wudu, to go beyond the limit of washing the face and even include the hair, if we accept this as such, that it is permissible, then this washing of the hair would not come under the category of ghurra. Because ghurra, it is a comparison between the whiteness in the forehead of the horse and that whiteness is limited to his forehead and does not include his, the, hair, the hair of his head. So even if we said that it's permissible to extend it, the ghurra or the brightness of the believer on Yawm Qiyamah would still be in the same place as the brightness of the horse that is on his forehead and would not include his hair. Even if we accept that it's permissible to do such. And also, uh, he said that it has not been reported from even one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ that he understood this hadith to be a permission to go beyond the limits in making wudu, beyond the limits that are stipulated in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. But it has been narrated from Abu Huraira only, and even he himself said in the report of that hadith that if I had known that you were there, I would not have done such for fear that people would see him doing such and then they might follow him in his practice he didn't intend for anyone to follow him as such 
but it was something from his own ijtihad and he didn't want to pass it on to others. And uh, also, they mentioned that those who said that it's not mustahab, that every one of those who described the wudu of the Prophet and we all already mentioned the hadith of Uthman ibn Affan, was recorded in Bukhari and Muslim, and we mentioned the hadith of Abdul ibn Zayd, radiallahu anhu, was reported in Bukhari and Muslim, and the scholars like Az-Zuhri said that these are the most complete descriptions of the wudu of the Prophet we don't find in these descriptions, nor in other descriptions of the wudu of the Prophet that he ever, even one time, did such. That is, he extended his wudu beyond those limits which are well known to us. But we find that he only washed his face and he washed his hands up to his elbows and he washed his feet to his ankles. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ would not have left that which is preferable or better, at least not always, even if he left it sometime, if that was really preferable to go beyond the limits, at least we would have found the Prophet ﷺ most of the time or some of the time doing such and we didn't find any such thing. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Askarani in his book Fath al-Bari, the explanation of al-Bukhari, when he discussed this hadith, he said that I didn't find this expression, that is, then whoever is able to do so should extend his whiteness by going beyond this statement and that hadith, which we said is the statement of Abu Huraira. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Askarani, he said, I didn't find this last sentence in the narration of any one of those narrators who reported this hadith from amongst the Sahaba, and there are ten Sahaba who narrated this hadith. That the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu will come on Yawm Qiyamah with their faces and their hands and their feet, the brightness in their face and hands and feet. He said there were ten others of the Sahaba who narrated this hadith, and we didn't find any of them mentioning this statement as is mentioned in the narration of Abu Huraira. And even we didn't find it in the report of the narration of Abu Huraira by others of the Tabi'een who narrated from him except Nu'aym ibn Abdullah al-Mujmir. He is the only one from amongst the Tabi'een of all of those who narrated from Abu Huraira, he was the only one who narrated this last sentence in his report from Abu Huraira. As for the others who reported that hadith from Abu Huraira, they didn't mention that last sentence. So Al-Hafiz ibn Hajjah, and we know that he is one of the greatest of the scholars of hadith, he used to examine all narrations. In his explanation of Al-Bukhari, he used to bring, he used to mention so many other narrations from the books of Sunan and other books that support or clarify or add anything to those narrations which Al-Imam Bukhari mentioned. And here on this point, he said in his search of all reports of hadith that he found in the books of hadith that were available to him then, he didn't find any other Sahaba, nor any of the Tabi'een, even who narrated Abu Huraira saying such, except Nu'aym ibn Abdullah. Rahimahullah. So this makes it more clear that this statement is really the statement of Abu Huraira himself. And Nu'aym himself, he didn't distinguish the statement of Abu Huraira from the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, as did the other reporters from Abu Huraira. They made a distinction and they only reported the text of the statement of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, leaving the statement of Abu Huraira on the side. And finally, they said that even the ayah of the Qur'an has clarified and limited the places that should be washed in wudu to the elbows and to the ankles in washing the hands and feet. And this ayah of wudu is of the last ayats that were revealed of the Qur'an in the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, which makes us to know that it was not abrogated.
Okay, there's uh, yani also a lengthy further discussion that he mentions from other books. But this is the main uh, essence of what he says about this particular hadith. And there's only maybe uh, one more very, very important point uh, before we end this hadith. And it is the mention here by Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, that uh, it was the practice also, or it was the understanding or the position of the people of al-Madinah that it is not mustahab to extend the washing of the parts of wudu beyond the limits that are mentioned in the Qur'an and Sunnah. Uh, and that uh, there is also another hadith that is indirectly uh, applicable here, although it is not specifically related to the extending of ablution, but it is related to going beyond the bounds in any act of worship and particularly in wudu, and this hadith is reported uh, by Al-Imam Ahmed and Nasai Ibn Majah, Abu Dawood and Ibn Khuzayma. And it is a sahih hadith, as mentioned by Al-Hafid Ibn Hajjah, that it came by many uh, chains of narrators that are authentic. And he said in this hadith that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was asked about Al-Wudu. So he showed him the Wudu Thalathan Thalathan, washing the pots three times, وَقَالَ هَذَا الْوُضُوء Then the Prophet ﷺ said, This is the wudu. This is the wudu. فَمَنْ زَادَ عَلَى هَذَا فَقَدْ أَسَاءَ وَتَعَدَّ وَظَلَمَ And whoever goes beyond this, then he has done something bad, and he has uh, gone beyond the bounds, and he has يعني, done something, you can say, ظلم here means, to go to yani, do something out of its place. Yani, to put something other than in its place or to do it improperly. So here, this hadith was also mentioned that going beyond the bounds or the limits that have been legislated in the Quran and Sunnah in those things that are limited is unacceptable. It is yani, uh, something wrong. It is putting something out of its place and it is yani, improper. So whenever there is a limit to something, then we should stay within the limit. And if there is no limit, then that's different. Uh, now, so this is uh, the end of this discussion. And the difference of opinion here, Tani, is not something that we should argue or debate about. If some of the scholars said that it is mustahab, then if we, after examining the evidences, agree with the position of those scholars who said it's mustahab, then we may do such, believing that it is proper and correct. But whoever knows the evidences in that issue, and they see that one opinion is stronger than the other, then they should fear Allah and do that which they see as being more proper, even if it is the minority opinion. Even if it is the minority opinion. Even if it is contrary to the opinion of your madhab that you have been raised in, in your country, you should follow the stronger evidence and you should follow the opinion that's closer to being the real practice of the Prophet ﷺ in all things and in all acts. It is not something to argue and debate about, but it is a matter of making effort and reflecting upon and searching and comparing those issues about which there is ikhtilaf and trying to find the most correct opinion and following it, seeking the pleasure of Allah and doing that which would be more pleasing to Allah and closer to the sunnah of the Prophet If there are any questions...
or any comments or any corrections, we have about uh, three minutes or two minutes before the adhan. If there's any question about the first uh, topic of uh, starting with the right hand or about the matter of um, extending the brightness. Now. I don't know that there is any text in all of the hadith that we have read. None of the uh, companions of the Prophet ﷺ mentioned the use of the right hand to wash both feet or the left hand to wash both feet or to alternate between them. Nor did the scholars who uh, explained those hadith mention such a point, which means that they left it open to the person. It is preferable to wash the right foot first. But whether or not you have to use the right hand to wash it or you may use the left hand is not mentioned in the text of the hadith nor in the explanation of the scholars. So that means it is open until we found that there is some text uh, clarifying or some text showing that it is better or preferable or mustahab and Allah knows best. Yeah. Okay, this issue we haven't dealt with Al Masah yet. We didn't reach the hadith concerning such. When we talk about this we will explain in detail. But I will say to you that it is permissible that you put the socks on immediately or you may delay to put the socks on. But the permission for wiping over the socks requires as a, as a condition that when you put those socks on, you should have been in a state of wudu, state of purification. If you made wudu and then you went to pray and you stayed in wudu and when you came back you put socks on, there's no harm. But if you delayed putting the socks on until you invalidated your wudu, then you put the socks on then you are not allowed to wipe over the socks because one of the conditions for wiping over the socks is that you should have put the socks on while, you were, while your feet were clean as the Prophet said in the hadith of Al-Mughayrah he said that no need when he bent down to take off his socks he said no need because I have put my feet in these socks after cleaning them I put them on in a state of cleanliness, purification so whoever put his socks on while his feet were clean, washed, and making wudu or ghusl, then he may wipe over them. But whoever delayed in putting them on until he invalidated his wudu and then put them on, then he cannot wipe. But if he has to make wudu at such time for prayer, he will have to take his socks off and make wudu completely and also washing the feet. Now, They said it's forbidden, forbidden to make wudu except in running water. Uh huh. Yani if you have a container, it's not running water. It's a container. You cannot dip your hand in it. 
Okay, perhaps what they mean is that you should wash your hands before dipping in. Remember the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He said if anyone woke up from sleep, then he must not put his hand in his wadu, his water that's used for wudu, until he washes hands first. Okay? We discussed this. Some of the scholars said that it's wajib, and some said that it's mustahab. In any case, you should do it. You should wash your hands before putting in. Once you cleaned your hands, then you may put your hand in and take water to make wudu. There's no problem with this. This is actually the practice of the Prophet ﷺ. That's exactly what was done by Uthman ibn Affan when he said, when they asked him to show us the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ, he called for water and he poured water on his hands. He didn't stick his hand in, but he poured water over his hands, washing his hands first. Three times. Then he stuck his hand in the water, taking water to rinse his mouth and nose. This is proper, exactly, to take water and make wudu from a container. There's no harm in such. It was the practice of the Prophet ﷺ and Sahaba. But, not sticking the hand in that container until first washing it. Until first washing it. Maybe they meant that. But if they mean you cannot make wudu from a container, then we cannot accept such, because this is exactly the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, what we are doing, making uh, wudu from uh, water, faucet, running water, perhaps actually is more dangerous because we take the chance that we are wasting water. And the Prophet ﷺ warned from wasting water in making wudu. So when we turn that faucet on, we are running water, wasting water. If we make wudu from the container, it is preferable and better. But it is permissible to make it from running water from the faucet, except that we should be careful to run the water slowly. Not like we see some people doing today. Turning the water on rapidly, and so much water is being wasted with no concern or care, because water is abundant. But there are many people in the earth where their water is not abundant, and we are not concerned because we have plenty. But wasting water in every case is unacceptable, and we should avoid it. If we make water from the faucet, we should turn it slowly and try to use the water without wasting as best we can. Comes out. <laughs> This is good. <laughs> this is a good preventive measure. <laughs> now, okay, then, Fadlo Yafi. Janaba. Yes. The most, yes, we also, we didn't take Gusul. But it's coming after. When we study, we will go in detail about this discussion. But you can say that it is from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that he used to, after washing the private part, he used to perform wudu as part of ghusl. This is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And that was done in more than one way. In one report, authentically narrated by Al-Bukhari, he used to make wudu completely. And then he will start washing the rest of the body, washing the head first, pouring three handfuls of water over the head, and then the right side and left side of the body, and finally, washing the feet. In another narration, he used to make wudu, except washing the feet, all of wudu, exactly as we are performing wudu, except washing the feet, and then he will start by washing the head and the rest of the body, and then he would move to another place. They were standing on sand, so obviously he was standing in mud, he would move to another place and then finally wash the feet. And both of these are authentically reported from the Prophet 
from his wives, one of them from Maymuna radiallahu anha, and the other from another of his wives, I think Aisha radiallahu anha, and they are both correct and acceptable. That is, that wudu should be a part of a ghusl, but is it mandatory to be a part of ghusl? That's another question. That's another question. This is the most correct and the most perfect performance of ghusl that you should make wudu in the beginning of the ghusl. But not that it is mandatory. And we will discuss this in detail when we reach the chapter of Al-Ghusl. You can use it. Insha'Allah. Now. The use of water from the food or from the certain kind of plant like capsules. From a plant? Yeah, plant or fruit. Water. Water. Coconut water. If it is uh, cactus water, inshallah you can use it. Because whatever is considered to be water, it is acceptable. Water, as long as it retains its natural state. Water. It doesn't change its taste, nor its color, nor its smell. Then it is tahir and mutahir. You can say that it is clean. It doesn't make you unclean and also you may use it to clean yourself. But if it changes its taste or smell or color, then we said there's difference of opinion amongst the scholars. If it is a large amount or a small amount, if it is flowing, if it is still, and so on, as we discussed previously. As for uh, water from coconut, I don't know. Really, about coconut water, exactly what is it? Is it really water or is it juice? I don't know. If it is water, then we can use it. If it is not water, then... I don't know. Huh? <laughs> now... Okay. Jazakum Allah khair. Subhanakallahumma. Wa bihamdika. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.